Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. I am Michael J. Sutton, and this is episode 92 in our series, Freedom from Fear. Freedom Matters Today looks at freedom from a Christian perspective. There are five themes in our research agenda. Freedom from fascism and tyranny. Freedom from fear and despair. Freedom from guilt and shame. Freedom from sin and death. And freedom from past and prejudice. Jesus said, If the Son of Man shall set you free, then you shall be free indeed. The title for today's podcast is Our Struggle. One of the vilest, most awful texts ever composed by a man was, for over a decade, the most popular, most loved book in pre-war Germany. From its initial publication in 1926, it quickly became the book that couples would be given at their marriage ceremonies. Everyone knew of it, most had read it, and it was undoubtedly one of the key devices for the effective rise of the Nazi Party. The idea that Germans did not know what Hitler had planned for the Jews is a lie. I still hear it today from fascists. They knew. Hitler told them. It was in his book, titled My Struggle. In this scribal obscenity, Hitler lays out his ideology and plans for exterminating Jews very carefully and cleverly. In fact, his rise to power surfed on the wave of unrelenting anti-Semitism in Germany, facilitated in part by the Lutheran National Church, which was deeply anti-Jewish and had been since it was founded. Martin Luther, indeed, had said many wonderful things about faith in Christ when he was not hating Jews. I encountered my struggle while researching my book on the rise of fascism, which is currently being prepared for publication. I didn't want to read the book, but I needed to find some quotes. I was comforted by the fact that my edition of the book had a preface written by a Jewish journalist who had fled Hitler in the 1930s, and I reasoned that if this Holocaust survivor had opened its pages, then I could as well. But I knew that by opening this book, I would be stepping into filth. For that is what fascism is in all its forms, pure filth. Fascism is the great evil of human creation. There can be no compromise with it. The book's preface, written by this Jewish journalist, was a sufficient framework to use to navigate the bile, hatred, and frenzied vitriol against Jews. And I trod carefully, knowing that I was reading a book that helped to cause the murder of over six million Jews, along with homosexuals, masons, gypsies, and opponents of the Third Reich. I trod cautiously, as I did not want to unsettle the dead, who were led like lambs to the slaughter, and whose bones were burned, scattered, and tossed like garbage. As a Christian and a follower of Jesus, and deeply aware of the Church's appalling relationship with Judaism over the years, I walked with deep respect, in silence, 
for the unforgotten dead. What I found astonished me. I was speechless. Three, th three things struck me when I read Hitler's book. Or tried to. First, I could find no quote for my book that satisfied me. For Hitler did not stay on one subject long enough for me to find one. How his book was popular amongst the German ruling class of the 1930s is astounding. It is not that Hitler invented anti-Semitism. It was already there. It was knee-deep. It was ingrained in German culture. As a piece of literature, it was almost impossible to read. And I could not read beyond a few paragraphs here and there before giving up. The second thing that strike, struck me was that Hitler was not mad, but a very clever, manipulative and cunning person. For what he did was to strip a human being of all their rich complexity, their variety and nuances and influences, to create a person in his image so he could murder them. That person was his definition of a Jew. This was revived but classic European anti-Semitism. Alfred Marshall, the father of neoclassical economics, did the same with the discipline of economics in the 19th century. Economics before Marshall included history, culture and politics, even class. The political economists Adam Smith and David Ricardo, even uh, Malthus, accepted the idea and existence of class. But Alfred Marshall disposed of all of them in favour of what he called economic science. He stripped humanity of richness, culture, subtlety and value to create economic man, what economists call the individual. Marshall created the individual to pretend that economics was a science, which it isn't. But his intentions were not nefarious. Hitler's goal, on the other hand, was to create a definition of a Jewish person so that their removal from society would not be noticed or lamented. For everything they were, everything they believed in, and everything they said, according to Hitler, opposed German culture and identity. They were, according to Hitler, against Germany. They undermined German values and what it meant to be German. That was his goal. It was largely achieved in six years when he took over, and very few Germans opposed the persecution and then extermination of Jews. Even today, the grandchildren of fascists lie to my face and say that only a tiny group of SS officers knew what was going on. Tragically and astoundingly, I have been hearing it more and more, and that is the argument from people seeking to defend Hitler and the Nazis in, those, in their so-called struggle against Jewish people. The third thing that struck me when I opened Mein Kampf, my struggle, was that Hitler sounded very, very familiar. I'd heard him before. In fact, I'd heard him a lot growing up in Australia. He's on the radio every morning with the radio personalities who have the people they hate, the people they blame for the problems in society. Hitler is in the parliament and on the voices of politicians who tell me that we have too many foreigners 
or too many refugees. And most disturbingly of all, he is in the pulpit of many of our churches. Yes, Hitler is there too. In fact, he is experiencing a revival in the West in thousands of pulpits across many nations. Some people, mainly academics, don't know what it is. And they're horrified by it, but they've called it the wrong thing. They call it Christian nationalism, but they are wrong. There's nothing wrong with flag-waving or loving your nation. We should call it with its proper name, in honour of its true father, its true allegiance and true origin. It is Christian fascism, or fascism in the name of Christianity. Maybe you are a Christian fascist. Certainly, if you go to church in America or Australia or Canada or New Zealand or England, chances are you might be. Or you may have come under the influence of a Christian fascist or read their books, listened to their sermons and read their online posts. I have written a lot about Christian fascism already in our first series, Freedom from Fascism. I would guess that most church-going people in the West today are either Christian fascists or people with deep sympathies for the beliefs, ideals and values of Christian fascism. When Christians give up on Christ, they become fascists every time. It's not surprising since fascism comes from national Christianity. It didn't just appear in the 1920s out of the blue. Sadly, Many simply cannot tell the difference between Christianity and fascism anymore. The lines have been so blurred. If you are not a Christian, the response to fascism might be war, the process of steady destruction through aerial bombardment and missiles. It worked last time and seems to be working in the Ukraine, but at terrible cost. No one truly wins in war. And it is not the war Christians ought to be involved in. Ours is a spiritual war, not a physical war. The Western Church is truly fascist, for they are denouncing Russian intervention in the Ukraine, but will fall silent when the war is over, and they will say nothing. They don't believe in a spiritual war unless the government tells them to promote it, and they will keep their Bible closed until they are told by the state to open it. I am a Christian, and war is a sin, all wars today and in the past, and that includes the war on terror and the 20 years war in the Middle East. It is fascinating to hear Christians say that they don't want any assets tied up with Russia because war is evil, but they have assets tied up in America, and there is no greater warmongering nation than America. This, my friends, is Christian fascism at work. They simply don't know the difference anymore, nor do they care. These Christians are such dreadful hypocrites. So the Christian fascists, I say this, you will not listen to me, but you will have to listen to God and his word, the Bible. Fascism is a sin, and I hope that you will see it and recoil in horror. Turn back to God and follow Jesus Christ. If in the process your entire world falls, so be it. Because what does it profit a man or a woman if they gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? 
There is no place in the kingdom of God for fascists. They wouldn't want to be there anyway. Hitler was wrong. Fascism is always wrong. The Bible says very little about liberalism and a little bit about socialism. We are free to choose the politics. But fascism is always, everywhere, condemned. It has many names and it takes many forms, but it has one father. His name is Diabolos. Remember him, fascists? His watermark is on lots of sermons, I know. His fingerprints on many pulpits and his language in many churches. All I can do as a Christian is to remind you of the Bible. And for those of you who are not Christians or have been hurt by Christian fascists, know this. You are not alone. And not all Christians stand with the church. And not all Christians stand with fascists. Many Christians simply follow Jesus. Well, that's their goal each day, as their life is a relationship with God, not a ritual. Theirs is a faith, not a religion. And for them, God is big. God is real, and he can be known by anyone because he has no favorites. I am sure that many of you have never heard these words from Paul the Apostle. Certainly the church will try to hide it from you, as these words oppose everything they say, and they need to say it because fascism brings in the money and they can live the good life while they keep the Bible closed and you ignorant. But these words come from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12. And listen carefully, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And we will look at this for the next six episodes. For the Christian, what a relief. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But for the fascist, this is the horror of horrors and the blackest darkness. Remember, Freedom matters today because you matter to God. Join me tomorrow for another episode of Freedom from Fear.